Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com Thanks for joining us here at Napa Broadcasting. I'm Jeff Sheckman. In the movie The Way We Were, written by the great Arthur Laurent, a professor writing about Hubble Gardner, played by Robert Redford, says that in a way he was like the country he lived in. Everything came too easily to him, but at least he knew it. Sometimes when everything comes too easy to us, when we don't have to struggle, we lose the ability to test ourselves, to really understand what we're capable of. Today, brain research tells us that what we're capable of is so much more than we think we can do, that struggle and collaboration and always pushing the limits of our understanding is how any of us can achieve and learn almost anything. Evolving this idea in the practical world of education and leadership has been the work of my guest, Stanford professor Dr. Joe Bowler. Dr. Bowler is a professor of education and equity at Stanford and the faculty director of UCUBED, an education resource that has reached over 230 million students. She's the author of nine mathematics books and numerous research articles. Her work has been published in newspapers and magazines around the world, and she's been named by the BBC as one of eight educators changing the face of education. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Joe Bowler here to talk about her new book, Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here and to talk to your listeners. Well, it's a delight to have you here. First of all, you have written a lot about mathematics and about the importance of mindset with respect to math. Talk a little bit about how this book, Limitless Mind, evolved from the work that you had done in mathematics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I wrote a book a few years ago called Mathematical Mindsets, and I talked in there about neuroscience and how that should change how we teach and I gave lots of examples from maths teachers about ways of changing their teaching. Uh, It became a a big bestseller internationally and the overwhelming feedback I got from readers was you have to get this out to a broad audience, to people who aren't maths teachers, to other teachers, but also to parents, to business leaders, uh, really just to anybody because the ideas in it just change how we live our lives. And as that started to evolve, talk a little bit about how it related to the way we live our lives and to the importance of mindset, not just in learning, but in leadership and mm-hmm. really everything that we do. Yeah. Well, what we know now is that your mindset, what you believe about yourself actually changes how your brain operates. So they have evidence that shows that people who believe in themselves, when they make mistakes, their brains are on fire with brain growth. But people who don't believe in themselves, when they make mistakes, it's still good for their brains, but it isn't as much brain growth. So what do you believe in yourself actually change how your brain operates? And what I share for audiences is this should, this should help all of us. Every time you go into a challenging situation, whether you're a learner or whether you work in an office or wherever you are, um, when you go into a challenging situation, you, if you think to yourself, I've got this, but then you mess up or you fail, your brain will respond more positively than if you go into a situation thinking, I can't do this. That lack of self-belief will stop your brain responding as well. I think we, we, it's really interesting that we have this really concrete evidence that what you believe will change your reality. 
In so many respects, it is a way of embracing uncertainty, embracing change, Mm -hmm. embracing the unknown in ways that we kind of inherently want to resist because we think that somehow it's going to be painful. Yeah. I mean, some of the most amazing neuroscience shows us that um, the best times for our brains are when we're struggling and when we're making mistakes. And so we really should embrace times of struggle. And if we're a teacher, we should want our students to struggle, but we should also share with them how valuable that is for their brains. So for all of us in life, embracing struggle and letting go of the need to be right all the time turns out to be quite liberating. And it's not only kids in schools who are helped by this. I've met many adults, and I interview a few for the book, who said to me, it was such a weight off my shoulders. I don't go into meetings now pretending that I know everything. Instead, I have a different mindset where I'm willing to say, well, you know, I don't know that, but I'll find out. And they've replaced that idea that they have to be perfect all the time. They have to know everything with a mindset of discovery and being comfortable with uncertainty. One of the other aspects of this that somehow seems so important is the language that we use. It, it, it really sets up the mindset, and it really is a whole new way of thinking about language around these mm-hmm. issues, it seems. Talk about yes. that. Yes. So we know that when we use fixed language, when we praise people with fixed language, it sets them off on a negative path. So parents across this country and in many countries praise their kids often for being smart to build them up to make them feel good and they'll say you're so smart but we know that students and children hear when they're praised for being smart what they hear is oh good i'm smart but then later when they mess up on something they think oh i'm not so smart so it's really important to change that fixed language we also have studies that show when you praise kids for being smart they immediately become more vulnerable They don't want to do difficult work. They want to keep that label. So in the book, I talk about replacing all of that fixed language with growth language. So it's fine to praise kids, but praise what they've done and say, that's amazing that you've learned that. That's fantastic that you can do that. Um, I love the way you're thinking about that problem. All of that is fine, but don't attach that you're so smart at the end of it. How difficult is it for parents that don't come to this with with the knowledge and understanding to be able to convey this to their kids, to students? Mm -hmm. Is it important that they first learn to embrace this? I think so. I mean, what we've found from our work with teachers is they don't really change in their teaching until they develop a fixed mindset about themselves. Many adults walk around on our planet thinking that they can't do things and thinking that there are limits to what they can do. And it's not until adults change the way they think about themselves that they can really change the way they communicate to their own children or to students, to their teachers. So it is really important that um, we change the way we think about ourselves, we let go of limiting ideas. And this is why I share the neuroscience in the book that shows people, you know, our brains are in a constant state of change and flux. Every day we wake up, our brain is different from the day before. There's nothing fixed about us. And when people start to understand about their brains constantly changing and growing, they start to let go of these limiting ideas that they may have been given by other people. 
And talking about the brain science, this whole notion of neuroplasticity, which really lies mm-hmm. at the heart of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, the brain science of neuroplasticity is really fascinating. I mean, it all started, as I talk about in the book, um, one of the discoverers of neuroplasticity was Michael Mertzenich, and it was discovered by accident. He and his team had mapped out the brains of monkeys to look at the activity of the brain, and then they'd gone away and done other work for some time, and then they went back to these mind maps of monkeys, and they realized that the brains had completely changed. So at first they thought it must be a mistake, and so they did it again, and they saw again this brain change, and when they were publishing it, it was at a time when everybody thought brains were fixed, that you were either born with a certain brain or during adolescence you developed a certain brain. And they got a lot of resistance. But now, decades on, we've had hundreds of studies that show that anybody can change their brain, not just children, but adults too. With focused, careful activity, people undergo really important brain change. You talk about six keys to all of this in the book. Give us a sense of what they are. Yes, so the six keys that really unlock people, I have found through my work, Um, The first one is the knowledge of brain science and growth and knowing our brains are changing. The second is knowing how important struggle is for our brains, knowing that being in a time of struggle is a really important time for your brain. The third one is about our mindsets and how what we believe will actually change what happens in our world. The fourth one is about approaching knowledge differently. I mean, this is all newer and isn't really in the mindset literature but what we know is that if people approach knowledge in a more multi-dimensional way valuing all the different ways people can see and think about things um, that is a lovely complement to appreciating growth when people start to appreciate the diversity of ideas and then I also the, the fifth key is about how damaging speed is And the idea that you have to be speedy to be a good learner and actually depth and flexibility is really important. And then the last key is about collaboration and how we connect with other people's ideas. Once people have become limitless and they've taken on these different areas of knowledge, they connect with other people differently and those connections are much more productive. There's also the element of collaboration with respect to learning itself and being exposed to to other people's ideas and the push and pull that comes from that. So we also know now that there's a communication section of the brain and we want to develop that part of the brain. So any classroom should make use of the wonderful resource that's in the classroom, which is students' own thinking and ideas and getting students to connect with each other on their ideas or adults connecting with each other. I share in the book some different ways that companies might act to get uh, employees to connect with each other more productively. What have you seen in your experience with respect to how companies approach this, how leadership should be approaching Mm -hmm. this, not in the classroom, not among kids, Mm -hmm. but but in the real-world situations? Well, we know that mindset... All of the different key ideas are really important for people working in companies and they're important for leaders of companies. These companies are filled with people thinking, oh, well, he can do it or she can do it, but I can't. Or that person is capable of doing it and this person just isn't capable. When I was sharing some of these ideas recently to an audience, a surgeon came up to me afterwards and said, 
oh my gosh, I need to think differently. I'd always thought when I was teaching that some people had the aptitude and some people didn't. I, I should now change and realize that everybody can do it. They've just had different experiences. So this comes into play a lot in business life. If you go around thinking this person is not capable and you have a fixed mindset about yourself and your own thinking, that will impact everybody around you. Carol Dweck, who is the guru of mindset, um, talks about the importance of identifying your fixed mindset moments because something triggers you into that fixed thinking. And in her work with businesses, she was describing how uh, when she was in a big business meeting, she talked about identifying these, these moments and the leader of the company said, oh, I know when I'm in fixed mindset mode and I've, I've given my fixed mindset a name, it's called Dwayne. <laughs> and then he talked about how when pressure is on, Dwayne comes out and Dwayne is bossy and critical. And then one of the people working in the company said, yes, and when your Dwayne comes out, my Ayana comes out and she's stressed and submissive and they talked with each other about these different ways that, that, that mindset impacted their interactions and their work. If we believe that people can do things that <clears throat> they think maybe they can't do, that, that they're capable of so much more, what is the nexus between that and expertise? Do we need to look at expertise and professionalism in a different way in this broader context? I'm not sure it's a different way. I mean, what we know from studies of expertise is that experts have had to work very hard, that they weren't born with anything that gave them expertise. And we also know that experts hold knowledge in a way that's very connected. So it's very much a synergy between the ideas I share in the book about approaching knowledge in a different way. Um, that draws actually from some of the literature on expertise. We also know that the people who are the highest achieving, most accomplished people in the world have more brain communication. Their different pathways in their brains are communicating more than in more regular people. And that's another key message of the book, that we need people to approach content and ideas in different ways that generates this brain communication. How does that relate to, just taking that one step further, practice and experience and, and, and the whole mm -hmm. idea of, you know, 10,000 hours being some kind mm. of numerical way to measure that? Mm. I mean, people have got the wrong idea about these 10,000 hours. I've mm. heard people say, oh, that must mean that in math, for example, where I do a lot of my work, you just need to practice over and over and over again. You need to do 10,000 hours of drill and practice which really is not uh, what the researchers found. The researchers found that, yes, people did a lot of hours, but they were very strategic in the way they worked, and their practice was very multidimensional. And they, drew, they worked with ideas in all sorts of different ways. So, and I, also, I, I just don't think we can put a number on what gives somebody expertise. Some people work in different, really interesting ways that create expertise that for others, they would work in a different way and maybe for more hours. I it's not as simple, I don't think, as just saying there are this many hours involved. What is the cutting edge of the brain research now? What is it that we would like to know and further understand about this that we don't quite get yet? 
that's a great question. Um, I think we there's a lot we don't know about the brain, and we're only just at the beginning of understanding how the brain works. One of the areas of work I do with neuroscientists has shown that how well you know your fingers predicts your maths achievement. And so we now know that this is why musicians often have better maths achievement because finger, finger sense, what they call finger sense, is really important. So how does that work exactly, that the better you know your fingers, the higher your maths achievement? That's a really interesting process. They can identify an area of the brain that lights up every time we do maths, and they know that area of the brain is related to fingers. But I think there's, I mean, that's that's one area. There are lots of areas of neuroscience where they know a little bit, but they, there's really a lot more still to discover. Dr. Joe Bowler, her book is Limitless Mind, Learn, Lead, and Live Without Barriers, and she's coming here to the Napa Valley. She's going to be appearing Friday night, September 6th, from 4.30 to 7 p.m. at the Napa Valley College Performing Arts Center. She'll be signing books, speaking. There'll be a wine tasting as well, of course. I thank you so much, Dr. Bowler, for spending time with us. Thank you very much. It's really good to talk with you. Thank you. Wine, food, talk. NapaBroadcasting.com.